Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Again, I told you at the outset of the first hour that 1.3 million people have positively responded to the Pulse event on Good Friday. 200 million people watched the live stream event. 1.3 million called or texted in to respond that they um, that they were receiving the good news of God's grace in Jesus Christ, and they were turning toward Him, toward His act upon the cross for their salvation. Um, that's 1.3 brand new baby Christians out there in the world, and you may meet one today. And so how are they going to encounter Christ when they encounter you? How are they going to um, get their first glimpse or a glimpse into the truths of the scriptures when they encounter you? Will they be able to tell that you have been with Jesus? Like, there you go. That's my, my compelling question for us this morning. Where in the word are you today? We have uh, We have read chapter two of Ephesians this week, so let's pick up in chapter 3. I want, you to, uh, I want you to listen for the word mystery, and I want you to consider what the mystery is that Paul is talking about here. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard uh, of the stewardship of God's grace that, has, that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I, was, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery, here it is, here it is, in case you don't, don't miss this. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. That's the mystery. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone uh, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. The mystery to which Paul uh, refers is this mystery that the Gentiles, the Gentiles, were fellow heirs with the Jews to the promise of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That the gospel of Jesus was for everybody. That everybody could partake of the promise. That the blessing of knowing God and being in a redeemed relationship with the Father through the Son by the power of the Spirit 
was available to everyone. That was a mystery to the Jews of the day. How could that be? No one is excluded from the power of the gospel to save. No one. So let us not be people who withhold it from anyone for any cause. Even if, even if it's a mystery to us that God could love them, that God could want them to be, that God could, yeah, that's, you know, might be a mystery to us. Yeah, it's in the heart of God. All right, Peter Kapsner is waiting in the proverbial wings on Skype. He joins me next. We're going to, oh goodness, you know, we're going to talk about all the headlines that I'm afraid to talk with with any other guest. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Peter Kapsner joining me now via Skype. Hey, welcome, man. Hey, thanks, Carmen. All I have to say is I'm I'm really glad the gospel was not withheld from me. Right? I mean, Amen. I just it's it's for everybody. Amen. 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 Uh, Amen. Um. Okay. So uh, our headlines um, that I uh, that I sent to you this week have nothing in common uh, so far as I can tell. They don't. So, I, I couldn't find I a connection anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> no, they just they it's things that I'm reading during the week and I'm like, oh, I'm saving that for Peter. So be, and, and in part, it's because I don't really know anyone else uh, with whom I talk on a regular basis that I could tee up. Let's say consensual incest should be decriminalized. Um, how, how could yep. I how could I even say those words out loud to any other guest? Um, but, you know, me well and we serve together. And so um here is the headline. Um, it, it, this falls into the category of things that we were told, oh, well, that will never happen. So you don't need to worry about that. That is not where any of these conversations about sexual liberty are headed. And yet now we have this headline, consensual incest should be decriminalized, advocates say. What is going on here? Yeah, boy, it, you and I have talked about this a few different times over the years in that pattern of where something that is shocking and outside the norms of how we would understand things in society uh, does ultimately then become sort of just normal. And, and we just see our lives through that lens then. And sexuality is that topic in which we've seen this time and time and time again, where something that is outside of the bounds of how we might understand something and something that ultimately is, is quite shocking when we first consider it then it just kind of becomes, huh, a little quaint, blasé, sort of the normal way of life. And, and I use the example often, but I actually did just go back through and watch a few episodes of the TV show Friends from the 1990s within the last couple of weeks. And I remember being utterly shocked by some of the content of Rachel and Ross and Joey and, and, and Phoebe and the, these characters that America grew to love through the context of story. But as Hallie and I watched the episode, we thought, can you actually say that out loud on TV? Like I, it, that that's shocking to us. This is the 1990s. And now going back, it is quaint. It is sort of, oh, you know, that was pretty tame and, and everything. And we've seen that pattern play itself out now all the way up to the point of what you've just described, where uh, in this move of what's perceived sexual liberty, people are beginning to advocate that incest could be or could fall within 
the bounds of two people that are consensual. Hey, I we're, we're related, brother, sister, whatever it happens to be. We have uh, a, an affection, a sexual affection for each other. And so who's that going to hurt? Why, why, if the two of us want to do that, then we should be allowed to do that. And that actually is coming on the heels, Carmen, of within about 18 months or so ago, there was a professor out of, I believe it was the University of Michigan, who sort of put down the first tentative steps that there, um, we, should, we should move to uh, lower the age of sexual consent, maybe even down to 13, 14, 15 years old, and that if people have an attraction towards younger children, then that should be decriminalized as well. And that was horrifying. Except that when you look back through the context of history, you see that that form, um, pedastry, has has played itself out. Not in, in the land of, of Paul and Jesus during the, their times, this was clearly one of the expressions of sex, sexuality that was accepted by some circles in the Roman Empire. So all of that is to say, I think it just speaks that when you're searching for meaning and hope and shalom and peace within the circumstances of this world— you, you keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper down this rabbit hole to find it, and you never actually are satisfied. All the while, we're losing all of the possibility of shalom and peace and hope in terms of what is rightly ordered sexuality. And, and it's really sad, actually. I see, as I've said many times on your show, the confusion, pain, and sorrow in my young people as they're trying to wrestle through this environment in which they're growing up. So the language in the article that, um, you know, particularly caught my attention, and then we're looking at a court filing on April the 1st in Manhattan Federal Court where a, uh, a parent, uh, an anonymous individual, I mean, you know, they're, of course, because uh, once we know who these people are, um, you know, the, the, the cultural pressure is going to be pretty heavy upon them, I would assume. Um, right. But so we have, uh, we have a parent who wants to marry their biological child. Um, and what they are arguing for here um, is uh, autonomy. The language here is individual autonomy. That's the language in the court filing. Um, the proposed spouses are adults, the filing says. They are biological parent and child, but would be unable to procreate together. Um, and so they are, uh, they look, they are looking for the city clerk's office to issue them a marriage license because in the five boroughs, um, there is, quote, no legal impediment to marriage. Like, see, here's Amazing. the challenge, right? Here's the challenge. Right. When we right. start removing impediments to marriage, maybe it doesn't occur to us the impediments that people are going to um, uh, suddenly ask us to evaluate. So this yeah. is, um, this is yeah, this is where we are yeah, the human, in the, the culture today. Yeah, the human heart will figure out ways around um, any boundaries and, and will move as, as as we deal with the corruption and the stain of sin in our world around us, right? Like, we, the, there is no end to the defiance in which we can enter. It's it's part of that Tower of Babel story from Genesis, where God moves redemptively in the way that he does, because he says, as they defy me in the heavens, nothing will be impossible for them. And it wasn't because they could build this superstructure. He wasn't talking about technological impossibility. With, within the Hebrew, it's literally no sin will become impossible for them, that they will they will invent ways to defy me. And I think we just see that so often play itself out in these ways. All right, let's, um, let's take a brief break. When we come back, let's do the really good news story that I teed up, which is Tito Jackson reunited with his mom. This is such a positive pro-life story in terms of the desire to know who we are and to whom we belong. And um, it's it's a really sweet, I mean, I'm teeing it up because, you know, Mother's Day is on its way. Um, I'm talking with right. Dr. Peter Kapsner, and we'll be right back. Now I'm just a beggar in the presence of a king. 
Tito Jackson may be a name that is not familiar to you. He lost the Boston mayor's race in 2017, and that set him off on a bit of a quest to take stock of his life and to discover more about his heritage. He had long desired to know um, about his own adoption. All he had was some very basic information that he had received from an adoption agency. The information that he had was that his birth mother was only 13 years old when he was born um, and that she it, that she had been um, sexually assaulted by uh, by two men and he is the result. Um, Peter, let's pick up the story there and um, talk with us about just this heart's desire to know to whom we belong and from where we have come. Yeah, it is a beautiful story. And so, I mean, it's a hard story, obviously, right, in terms of the origin part of the story. Mm-hmm. But I think there's a couple of pieces to pick up here. And one is what you referenced. And, and maybe prior to, to jumping into that, we, we talk ethics of life in my ethics class at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. And that covers the gamut of different kinds of topics, as you would imagine, from euthanasia to stem cell research. And, and then, of course, abortion is part of our conversation and, and how the church has thought of it and some of the different um, gray areas that people sometimes find themselves. And one of them is what, what about conception in the case of difficult circumstances like this, of a sexual assault, of a rape? Is there any sort of moral justification? And and here's what I can say based on the story um, of one person anyway. I'm, I'm guessing that Tito is very glad that he's alive. And and, and I think Well, he that, says thank you, like, right? Of course. And, I mean, of and course. And let's point out, let's point out, he's only 46 years old. So right. Ro- right. Roe v. Wade was the law of the land when Tito Jackson was born. And so this so she is would have had a bit every of reason, a miracle. Right? This is a bit of a miracle story. Yeah, and 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 her and and the mother, right, to carry this baby to to carry Tito to full term in the midst of middle school, and she talks a little bit about that in terms of sort of the ostracism that she experienced by her peers in middle school for taking a baby to full term. That in the thinking of the day, everybody would have said, "You you just need to abort this child." And now here we are. I mean, oh, there's so many angles, Carmen. Carmen, one of them is: Do can we ever? Um, fully overestimate the power of God's redemption, right? We just can't. Like his his redemption and his redemptive hand can move into any circumstance. And it and it doesn't do away with the circumstances themselves in terms of our past, but it does have the possibility, his redemption, of creating a free and open future of peace and love and joy as we move forward. And I think that's then what we see in this story of this man who is longing to know to whom he belongs. And he finds to whom he belongs. And and the reunion is so unbelievably heartwarming. And who knows what generations may come then from this specific kind of situation where a young woman was w- willing to bear the sorrow of the present on behalf of the future. And, and that's so much of the redemptive activity we're called into as people. I mean, this is what Jesus did, right? He picked up his cross. He bore the, the, the profound pain and sorrow in the present because there was a joy set before him on behalf of the future because he trusted that God could do something through these things. And and I, I want to be careful when I say that, because that doesn't mean that it's just like, oh, you're going through tough things, just deal with it. It's not about that at all. It is about in the midst of the brutality of life, there is the possibility of a strength and a, and a courage that can come that is both natural and supernatural in its origin, if we're willing to say yes to some things in the midst of that sorrow. And this is this is the result, right? This beautiful story of he found his mom. And, and it's an incredible tale uh, of a different alternative in these difficult situations. 
Yeah, I think the the there's a heartbreaking line. Well, there's lots of heartbreaking lines in yeah. this story. Uh, again, Dr. Kapsner and I are discussing an article out of the Boston Globe today. Tito Jackson found his birth mother. Their family's journey is a tale of Boston history. A mother and a son finally reunited, ready to share their journey with the world. Um, there's a line in here where she says to him now, as you know, as adults, and keep in mind they're only separated by 13 years. Like they're, it's incredible. It's not like, I know. I mean, I like, right? I mean, lot. like. I mean, yeah. right. So, um, I mean, these these are these are con- adults who are contemporaries. Right. I mean, almost. And um, and yet she is his mother. And, and at one point she just says, I mean, no one wanted to help me. Mm. No yeah. one wanted to help me. And you you know, I, I got to tell you, that's convicting today. That's convicting. Yeah. How pro-life are we? Are that's... we willing to help people bring their baby to term and then raise their baby themselves are we like it's one thing to be you know to be demanding that people who are pregnant have those babies it's another thing to be genuinely pro-life for that young mom for that single mom for that ostracized mom for that woman who has no support system um unless we step in and become that support system and yeah, so I just I just think there's a lot here, Peter, for the church soil for the church to till. I think there is, too. We we talked at length in my classes this week because of the events, obviously, in our country that are centered right here where I am in Minneapolis in the Derek Chauvin trial. And there's um, been a lot of conversation even among our students uh, that where I teach about things like critical theory and, and racial reconciliation and being for one another. And, and as much as I think we can and should take apart critical theory as a methodology, as a way to understand the world, it's it's filled with holes left and right and center. And, and I think a fair-minded person can walk through that. But we spend as much time this week, Carmen, also talking about um, ha- has there been, to what degree has there been a, a, a systemic failure within the evangelical church to be the people of the brokenhearted, to be the people who naturally and supernaturally move towards the suffering and the disenfranchised in our world, that we are maybe more concerned sometimes with building large franchises and big spinning out satellite churches and, and, and the business that is church to the, the great um, miss that I would say in terms of the call of the people and, and the children of light is to bring that light into the world and into the disenfranchised and, and that we move with a, a natural sense of brokenheartedness to the world around us and therefore then move into people's pain and sorrow. She was so alone and, and she probably like most of us, just needed one or two or three people, right, to come alongside and, and to and to share that journey, to bear the burden with her. And, and I think we have a, an incredible invitation, even as we might reject some of the more atheist sociological theories uh, of reconciliation that are that are in our world today. That doesn't mean that then we just go back to as things were and, and turn a blind eye. I think there's a great invitation to become the people of the brokenhearted for the pain and sorrow around us. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen. Um, all right, we uh, we don't have time to talk about the world's lost language, but that was an interesting article as oh, well. Oh, brother, yes. Um, <laughs> Peter Kapsner <laughs> and I love to chat. Thank you for letting us do it uh, alongside you this morning. Um, I'd say you can find him on Twitter, but he, he rarely tweets. So, um, <laughs> it's really been a go- long time. Yeah, you're just gonna go have to stop by the University of Northwestern St. Paul if you want to, you know, grab a coffee with Peter Kapsner, who I am assured does not actually keep his wife in a pumpkin shell. Because I've met her, and she does not seem like 
Peter, Peter, pumpkin eater, how to wife and could, right? Isn't that the. Right, right. Yeah. I think there's, we don't there's think, less than zero think, chance Hallie would ever mm-hmm. be in a pumpkin That's a, show. This is what I'm saying, right? That is what I'm saying. Less than zero right. chance. Okay. Um, happy, I mean, I know it's early, but happy Mother's Day to her. Thanks so much, Cameron. You too. She's an awesome one. All right. She we got to really take a break is. for Breakpoint. <laughs> we'll be right back. All right. Social media. Social media. I want you to think about that for just a moment. I want you to think about what you're posting on social media, how you're using it, what you are um, consuming when you visit social media, what you pass along to others that which you have received. We are going to talk about posting peace. We're going to talk about our responsibility as Christians on social media and why social media divides us and what we can do about it. Author Douglas Birch up next. This is Max Locato. It's nice to be included. You aren't always. Universities exclude you if you aren't smart enough. Businesses exclude you if you aren't qualified enough. And sadly, some churches exclude you if you aren't good enough. But though they may exclude you, Christ includes you. When asked to describe the width of his love, he stretched one hand to the right and the other hand to the left and had them nailed in that position so you would know he died loving you. Surely there has to be a limit to this love. You'd think so, wouldn't you? But David the adulterer never found it. Paul the murderer never found it. Peter the liar never found it. When it came to life, they hit bottom, but when it came to God's love, They never did. How wide is God's love? Wide enough for the whole world? And you're included. This is Max Lucado. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. All right, joining me now, Pastor Doug Bursch. We are going to talk about his brand new book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and what we can do about it. Doug, um, welcome and congratulations. Excellent book. Oh, thanks a lot. And thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, let's start with this. What is social media? Like when we talk about um, the scope of, of our interactions on social media, what are you covering? Well, I'm covering all of it, basically. Internet communication uh, from, from anything we're doing, tweeting, posting, Facebook, uh, Instagrams, you know, all this language is kind of funny. A few years ago, people have no idea what those words are, but now it's just basically a part of culture. And what we're noticing is people are getting more and more angry and divisive online. And so I, I look at why is that the case? Why is that happening? And really, what can we do to bring a better dialogue to our internet, our social media communication? All right. So, um, you make the appeal that Christians are actually engaged in ministry on social media platforms. I think we should talk about that because I'm not sure that everybody views their engagement on social media in that way, although we should. Um, and then you argue that we can engage there in a ministry of peacemaking. Let's talk about those two points. Yeah, well, I think this is a good point that there's something that's happening with social media where we're behaving differently than if we were just in church with someone or if somebody uh, was even our neighbor. And the scripture is pretty clear. You know, the Apostle Paul says this, and basically every letter in the New Testament at some level says this, is that we are called to the ministry of reconciliation, which means that we're trying to communicate in a way that people are drawn closer to God, or at least they see God, God's love, God's truth, 
and that uh, we're drawing them to that truth. And then also reconciliation is to break down the dividing walls of hostility between one and another so that any interaction I have, uh, the goal of that interaction is that if there's any dividing walls of hostility, um, that I can remove those and that the person can think, hey, I actually would like to be with Doug. I'd like to actually know more about him. This is a person who's safe for my life or at least loves me and cares about me. And what I find is Christians are actually just using social media uh, in, in some of the ways that others are who that's not their goal. We're supposed to be different, and uh, we're supposed to be engaged in that ministry of reconciliation no matter what, uh, no matter if we're online or if we're in person. But as you mentioned there, uh, we're treating uh, the media very differently or the medium of social media very differently. And I think it's partially or maybe even primarily because the medium itself uh, dehumanizes us. It, it actually creates distance. It creates conflict. And so I spend a lot of time just really trying to explain why it's creating this distance and why if Christians aren't careful, we're just going to kind of go along with the flow. And the flow is not about uh, bringing people closer to God, but really about just defending our points and our ideologies. Yeah, it's definitely not a medium designed to build up. It is definitely a medium designed to tear down. And so we have to be very, very intentional in terms of how we engage. The book is Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Um, if you want to find um, Doug, because he doesn't, um, he doesn't post like as Douglas Birch. He posts as Fairly Spiritual, which I think is cool. So <laughs> let's just talk about that handle for just a moment, um, because it's also your website. Um, what, is, what does that mean, Fairly Spiritual? Well, again, this is a way for me to connect with people. One, I think it's kind of funny. You know, when you, everybody says they're fairly spiritual, and what does that quite mean? But it also is a way that we're supposed to treat everybody as spiritual human beings. And, and this is something unique to Christians. We have, we have the ability to communicate in such a way that we're always facilitating spiritual discussions. And we don't have to be weird, and we don't have to be super churchy. But we can actually just you – know, I, I would hope this would be the case, that everything I do at some level is motivated by my, my relationship with God. So I use that term fairly spiritual as a way for people to know, hey, we all kind of define ourselves fairly spiritual. And there's no super spiritual people. There's just people obedient or not obedient. And if, if you're obedient, you make room for the Lord, you listen for his voice, it's amazing how spiritual your life can become. Okay, if you're listening right now and you say, okay, he sounds perfectly reasonable. He sounds like the kind of person that I would want to have a conversation with about my social media practices and who could help me understand um, why the way that I am approaching it is not building up the body. It's actually tearing people down, and it's actually putting barriers uh, up in terms of my witness. Posting Peace is your book, mm -hmm. Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Um, you can find Doug online, Douglas online, at fairlyspiritual.org. He also tweets at Fairly Spiritual. And our friends at IVP have given us some books to give away. Mm -hmm. And so if you would like to enter the drawing for the copies of this excellent book, Posting Peace, that I have available in studio, you know the drill. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. If you're not on social media and you don't know what social media is, this is not your book. 
I think that's also fair to say. Well, you know, I would actually say uh, that it is their book because what's happening with social media is it's influencing everyone. And what we're doing mm. online, we're now doing in person. And it would really help people to understand what's happening, why people are communicating in certain ways, why uh, we, we aren't as close, why we're not connecting with each other. You know, you brought up a great point of if people are hearing me, they might like the book. Well, one of the reasons is you can hear the tone of my voice, right? That's right. You can hear Absolutely. the spirit and how I'm saying stuff. That's not the case online. We can't read tone. We can't see facial expressions. We can't get all those other cues. And that's one of the practical reasons it's making us angry. And so those sorts of things, you'll just learn practical issues of how the technology itself changes us, how it actually influences us to think the worst about someone, and how we have to go the other direction and really work to humanize it, which means to put extra qualifiers in there to let people know how we think, emotional qualifiers, loving qualifiers. It takes effort because if you can't hear my voice or see my face or be with me in person, if you think Christians are bad or you think God hates you, you're going to read that in an angry tone. Everything I'm saying you would, you would read in an angry, accusative tone that you don't get when you have in person or at least uh, you know, audio or, or uh, radio or, or video as an expression of our faith. We're going to talk more about online peacemaking. Um, this is uh, the the power of having a redemptive approach um, and a redemptive presence on social media. We're going to continue that conversation with Doug Bursch in just a moment. Um, you can check out Posting Peace and the other things that Doug is writing about at fairlyspiritual.org. And if you want to enter the drawing for the copies of the book we have to give away today, text the word book to 877 933 Eight, four. We'll be right back. Talk to one another. We've got to learn to talk it out. We've got to Continuing my conversation with Doug Birch, we're talking about his brand new book, Posting Peace. Um, I want to read. Uh, I want to read a paragraph back to you um, because the internet is an amazing technological inno- innovation. You acknowledge, but then you say, sadly, we're harming ourselves with our own creation. I want to back up and read the the prior paragraph. Um, The Internet is not a neutral information gathering or sharing tool. Social media does far more than simply provide an environment where individuals can connect to share ideas. Instead, the online world changes the way we view humanity. Talk with us about the way, um, because I do think people think I'm just going, you know, I'm just going to Google it. And whatever Google returns to me, I am going to then um, receive as gospel truth and then I'm going to use my social media platforms to, you know, I'm going to hit the little bird or I'm going to hit the little blue F and that's going to then post it on my socials. And then people are going to think that is also my opinion or the way I view things. This is sort of how the dynamic works. And then people weigh in on that in often very, very negative commentary. So yeah. talk about how that's changing the way we see one another and how we communicate with one another. Well, you know, one of the biggest things it's doing is it's not uh, it's not forcing us to reconcile. Like before the Internet or like before we had all these options to communi- community, uh, we had far fewer people just to interact with. And so one of the reasons people in the past mm. went through conflicts and actually – um, tried to make things better is they had to, because if I get in a fight with my neighbor, uh, I have no one to talk to. I can't go online and find a whole network of people who agree with me. I can't just isolate myself with people who agree with my politics, with my religious views, with whatever views. At some level, I have to find a way to be civil and to get along with my neighbor, because if I don't, I'm just alone. I don't have the internet. This is pre-internet days, right? So what do we do online? 
And this is why it really is influencing this negativity and this inability to go through conflict is we don't have to. So if I get upset with someone, what do I do? I just block them, mute them, go to someone else. If I don't like what some people are saying, I just isolate myself to the people who will share what I want them to share, to say what I want them to say. And that's a very strong form of individualism. In fact, scholars even call it networked individualism, that we're networking with people based on our individualistic needs. Uh, And the Internet is just exaggerating that. So it's great where you can find people who agree with everything that you agree with. But what is it doing? It's it's putting us into these segmented groups, and we're becoming more and more segmented in our little isolation, ideological bubbles. The moment a conflict occurs, we isolate from that person, and we find someone else. And we're not doing the difficult work, but the needed work of walking through a conflict with someone, of learning how to express your opinions to a a diverse group, uh, to be able to actually abide with people long term. And that is one of the biggest things that our social media communication is doing. It's not teaching us how to form healthy, diverse communities that value differences, but we also share who we are and what we believe and our true convictions. And so you know, we, we're, we, everybody can think of an example of that. So what I try to do in each chapter is I have practical ways for people to look at how they communicate, to see how maybe they're not actually learning how to go through a conflict, working with diverse groups of people, sharing the truth that they believe in genuine, loving ways. Uh, and, and then we just look at that because some of us, we're not trying to do that, but we just find ourselves in these battles and these arguments. And we're even going, what's happening? Why am I fighting with my uncle online? You know, what, what's happened to me? And I think it's not just because we're terrible people. It's that the technology trends us towards these terrible outcomes. I'll also make the observation, Doug, that tone, and you've, you've said this earlier, but tone does not translate. No, it doesn't. Yeah. And so I have a friend. He's a New Yorker. Um, like in the, mo- yeah. And I, and I can say that about him and you sort of know what I'm talking about. Right. His, his engagement on social media is, I mean, it's him. He's, he's being himself, but you can't hear him being himself. And so he comes off really acerbic in, yeah. in, in his social media posts. He is very curt. And, um, and in, in person, that's somehow not offensive at all because you're having a conversation with a person. You can hear the tone of their voice and you, you just, you know, he's used to talking in really succinct ways um, and and people not taking offense because then the cultural environment where he operates as a live living human being like that's normal. Well, that's not normal in the South. Um, it's not normal, you know, according to like Minnesota nice. Like, right. And so he comes off as this kind of wretched person. And, and I don't know how to say to him, you, you should just be off of social media because you, I don't want you to not be yourself and you can't be yourself here. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's a great point. And we, I, I think he should be on social media, but he has to find a way to maybe examine uh, how it's coming across. Because even someone, I, you know, I've got some New Yorker friends and I know exactly what you're talking about. They'd say, act first, apologize later is one of my friends would say. <laughs> And But I've also found when I'm in person with them, if they see tro- a troubled look on my face, they will at least address it. Absolutely. And that's, and that's the problem is because also for your friend, he's not getting those cues. Studies show that we're actually empathetic when we can see people's faces. And it's so true. As a kid, the first time you do something mean and you see someone's face change, that creates empathy in you. Well, we're not seeing that face change. So we're just moving ahead thinking everything's fine. You know, I'm just t- sharing my truth. 
And so now we have to find ways to make sure someone can communicate that to us. And that takes effort. That's hard. He'll have to learn some skills. I have to learn some skills. But again, if the goal is to bring people where they closer to God in the sense that they know God loves them, and even if it's to deal with difficult things, you can't, you know, speak into someone's life if they see you just as a threat. At some level, they have to see, even though you're speaking truth and it might be difficult truth, you're actually doing it not just to be right, but to be reconciling, not just to be political and partisan, but to be reconciling. And so it's not about not sharing the truth, not causing conflict, but why am I causing conflict? And we all have to ask that question. Am I doing this just because I'm angry and I want to prove I'm right or hurt that person because they hurt me? Or am I generally thinking they're lost in the dark, needing the light and life of Christ, and this is an opportunity to show them this through how I communicate? Talking with Doug Bursch, we're talking about his new book, Posting Peace, Why Social Media Divides Us and What We Can Do About It. Um, Our friends at InterVarsity Press have given us some copies to give away today. So if um, if you're saying, you know what, I know I need to be more fully equipped to engage in the ministry of peacemaking through my social media, um, and I want to understand how social media is changing me, or I want to understand how social media is changing the world that I live in, All of that is covered. This is a highly researched book. It's also got great little personal vignettes in it as well. Um, Doug's a pastor, so you're going to hear that tone, tonal quality come through in everything that he not only says but writes. Um, Go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for the copies we have to give away today. Um, Doug, we've got like 90 seconds left. Make the appeal um, to our listeners to view their engagement on online, in every environment, in every format, um, as ministry? Mm. Well, I think people who are listening right now, they already know at some level, either they're not doing it right, or they could do better, or something is broken. And that's how it starts. Uh, God is Alpha and Omega, right? He, he's the beginning and the end of the discussion. And uh, the Internet's still very new. Some of us can remember when this was not a reality, and so we still have the ability to form the, the medium. We have the ability to form the communication. And this is where the evangelist in me comes out is I don't know if people will change. I don't know if I th- the world could laugh at us for that communication. But I want to stand before the Lord with integrity and say, I didn't bow down to the divisive, devouring spirit of our age. I tried to facilitate environments that had a better witness, that were full of truth, but also love that we're truly geared to making room for you, God, in every discussion and trying to find a way to reconcile with anyone where there was hostility between us. And, and I think if anyone has that desire in their heart, and whether they read this book or not, at some level we should be growing in that ability. Just as with your, your radio show, your goal isn't just to be right. Your goal is to share the love and light of Jesus Christ and for people to turn from darkness to light and from death to life. That should be the goal of every single one of us, no matter how difficult the news is or difficult the discussion. So that's my advocacy, is just listen to what God is saying to you. And God is leading you, maybe not to read my book, I mean, that's fine, but God is leading you to grow in the ministry of reconciliation and for your online presence to look like Christ and not like something very different than Christ who died for us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You know, it, it occurs to me, Doug, that, um, you know, I check out people, uh, I check out their social media all the time before I 
um, platform them, mm. right? Because yeah. I recognize that what I'm passing along to others here on this ministry platform, um, if if what you're doing behind the scenes online, um, because that's not behind the scenes for the rest of the world. Yeah. Um, but so if what you're doing there doesn't line up with what you're saying here, you know, I'm going to have a hard time saying to those who trust me to bring them this programming every day, hey, you know, this is a good guy and he has... Um, you know, he's going to be an honest broker of the things of the gospel because that's what we're, you know, really trying to equip people in. So thank you for the way you engage on social media. Um, thank you for being somebody who we can faithfully follow online as well. And certainly thank you for this book, Posting mm-hmm. Peace. Thank you for your tremendous kindness. This was a blessing. Well, it's a, it's a blessing to know you. And may your, um, may your inbox be full of invitations. <laughs> I saw your little uh, gift. So there you go. All right, that is uh, that's Doug Bursch. If you um, if you got a podcast, he's uh, he's looking to talk. There you go. All right, Doug, have a great day. Um, thank you so much. We got to take one brief break, and we'll be right back. That's it. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.